What is going on, everybody? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Bullpen Cart Podcast, presented by Thunderblogsports.com. It is a solo show, just me, and I recorded this early this morning. Decided to try something new with all the different sports going on last night. Talked some baseball, what's been going on with the trade deadline, the Yankees and the Rays, the Phillies, some hockey talk with all the crazy second round series in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Gave my thought on those. Then wrapped things up talking about the Tour Championship on the PGA Tour. Broke that down a little bit. Answered a fan question. But this one was a lot of fun to record. I'm interested in hearing what you guys think. So let me know in the comments. As always, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Search The Bullpen Cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Mash that subscribe button. Give us a nice five-star review. And I'll give you a shout-out on the show. Follow us on Twitter. ThunderBLG is the handle there. Thunderblog Sports on Instagram. The Bullpen Cart Podcast Facebook group. Join that group, be a part of the conversation, submit questions, and let me know what you guys think as well, and enjoy this episode, everybody. Again, I hope you enjoy the early show, but here we go. Welcome to this episode of the Bullpen Card Podcast, presented by Thunderblogsports.com. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell, coming to you early on Thursday, September 3rd. That is right. I'm recording this in the morning. Originally meant to record a podcast Wednesday night. Originally, it was going to be with Greg. Then it ended up being his brother's birthday. Actually, yesterday ended up being a lot of people's birthdays. More on that in a second. Give some shout-outs. But Greg had to go celebrate his brother's birthday so I was going to do a solo show and then I had a pretty busy day at work so I was doing that and had the Phillies on and got very invested in seeing the Phillies end up winning their third straight game in this series and actually fifth straight game against the Nationals we'll talk about that more when we get to the Phillies talk and then there was some hockey to watch a little basketball so decided to try this out a little morning show for you to give you an idea of you know what happened last night and give some reactions because we're going to talk a little NHL playoffs. We're not going to talk basketball playoffs mainly because me by myself is probably not the best basketball coverage you should be listening to. If you're that big of an NBA fan, there are a lot better avenues to get basketball analysis. So don't trust me or maybe fade against me. We'll talk about that more too. Uh, birthday shout outs though. Mention it. Greg's brother, uh, Dan Sineski, shout out to him. A uh, friend of mine from Survivor Philly. I know he listens sometimes. So, Dan, if you're listening, happy birthday. I know I said it to you already, but happy belated birthday. Seth Z, who is a, who's been a featured guest on the show, happy belated birthday to him. Big baseball fan. We're going to talk about his Yankees on this show. Turned out it was Keanu Reeves' birthday. Shout out Keanu Reeves. No, he's not listening, but very excited for Bill and Ted 3. That came out last week. Still haven't seen it yet. No spoilers. Don't text me anything about the movie. I'm incredibly excited to see it. Love the Bill and Ted movies. But yeah, this solo show, very excited to do this. Excited to see how this morning format works, especially with football about to come back. Maybe turn this into what the weekend format or weekend update was going to be or the weekend recap. I forget what I called it. But do it on Monday mornings. Talk about the football games and all that sort of stuff. For those that don't know, if you start becoming a listener during quarantine, the beginning of the year as a part of my idea to try to get to 100 podcasts in 2020, which... 
coronavirus just laughed at. I started doing a weekend recap on Sunday nights and some of them turned out to be Monday night podcasts because there was late night Sunday events like the Oscars turned out to be one of those or a West Coast golf event or if I was doing something because, you know, pre-quarantine, we were actually social human beings in this world. But I missed a bunch of Sunday nights and I get some heat mainly from Greg because Greg loves to give me heat about not recording right there so he didn't have a podcast Monday morning to listen to. But now maybe this is the idea to do it. So let me know what you guys think. If you think Monday morning is a good or Monday morning's a good idea for football. If you like these morning updates to get more recap reactions to things. I'm, I'm probably not putting into the best words. But you'll see why. We'll jump into this. Looking at the menu for this game, the the rundown, if you will. We're gonna talk a little baseball. We got the Yankees Rays, everything going on there. The trade deadline was this past Monday. We're gonna break that down a little bit. Phillies talk. We're gonna go over to hockey. Avalanche and Stars, wild game six last night. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And and the Flyers and Canucks, see if they can also come back from down 3-1. The Avalanche were down 3-1, just forced a game seven. Flyers and Canucks play a game six tonight, Thursday night, the third. Then we're going to talk a little golf. It is the Tour Championship starting on Friday afternoon. That is going to be a lot of fun to watch. We're going to break that down a little bit. And then a little bit of a grab bag at the end, maybe some recommendations. Haven't totally gotten there yet. Just kidding, I have, but... It's a grab bag. Wanted to leave some air of mystery there. But baseball, jump right into it. The Yankees and the Rays. You've probably seen this. You've been paying attention to anything sports related because baseball, the biggest stories this year, have been fights, but all of them have had to do with the Astros. This one did not. It's the Yankees and the Rays. But this has been an ongoing story for the last couple years. It started a few years ago. Yankees got thrown at by the Rays, and then two years ago, CC Sabathia started to continue that, started throwing at the Rays, uh, got a little heated last year, and at the beginning of this year, it was a little heated, but we fast forward to the other night on Tuesday night, start off the game, Masahiro Tanaka beans Joey Wendell to start off the game, and it you know seemed like a complete dart thrown right at Joey Wendell, continues this hitting stuff. The beef is real. Fast forward to the ninth inning. Yankees have a lead. Roldis Chapman comes in and immediately hits Joey Wendell. Poor Joey Wendell gets stuck in the middle of this. And, you know, gets two outs. And we get to the final at bat. And Chapman throws at Michael Brousseau. Throws right over his head, 101 miles an hour. And ends up getting the strikeout. And you can kind of see... There's some chatter. Brousseau turns around. They have the camera on him. Here's something. Decides to turn around. The umpire immediately holds him back. And throughout this game, Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, comes out a couple times. There was warnings issued earlier in the game. I kind of fast forward over to that. But we had to get right to the heat of Chapman throwing at Brousseau. But Cash flies out. He's pissed off that there were only warnings thrown er, thrown earlier and he, in his press game conference, or post game presser, Jesus, uh, early morning guys, you know, really got to sip that coffee, but post game presser, Kevin Cash freaking out after the game, the, bull, the, you know, the bench is clear, Cash starts talking about how this was all intentional, started with Tanaka throwing at Joey Wendell, and closes out his press conference saying, I have a stable throw of guys, that, uh, full of guys that can throw 98 miles an hour, which is wild because a 
couple seconds earlier, he's talking about how it's nuts that he's throwing 101, Chapman is, at a guy's head, which is totally fucked. And I love seeing heat in baseball. I love seeing the benches clear. It's fun. You know, fighting can be great as long as people don't get hurt. But this is how people get hurt. You throw people's heads, beaning somebody off the hip like Tanaka did. It's not excusable, but it's still better than throwing at somebody's head. That's how players' careers end. It's how people get severely hurt. We hear about this all the time, the the bigger contact sports. I'm not sure why this heat continues between the two teams. It's great that we have some sort of rivalry that's forming, that's not the traditional Yankees-Red Sox, Cubs-Cardinals, Phillies-Mets, Giants, Dodgers, all these sort of things. It's great that these non-traditional rivalries are starting to form, but we can't get it to the point where all of a sudden we have a guy getting beamed in the head just because we've been trading off hit by pitches for three years. Now, all this being said, comes out on Wednesday that Aroldis Chapman is getting suspended for three games. Kevin Cash, Aaron Boone getting suspended for one. They did not manage last night. Chapman, three games. And as John Cruck so eloquently put it on the Phillies broadcast on Wednesday night, that he only gets three and Joe Kelly got eight. And I think that, I think it's nuts. I, John Cruck thought it was nuts. I think everybody thinks it's nuts. There's been a lot of jokes about how Joe Kelly continues to get suspended as other fights go. If you remember, he did the pouty face at the Astros. He was throwing around them and all this sort of stuff. I get it that this is, you know, Joe Kelly vigilanteism and all that sort of stuff, but... Chapman threw at a guy's head at 101 miles an hour. His Instagram handle is the Cuban Missile. That could really, really fuck somebody's day up and potentially put Broser or anybody who gets hit with that out for a couple days, a couple weeks, and maybe the rest of the season because it is September. So regardless if coronavirus ever happened, there's only a month left in the regular season. We'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But it's just wild that you're not going to suspend a guy as long as you've as you've set this bar for throwing at guys intentionally and all this sort of stuff over trash cans and buzzers in a World Series cheating scandal. It, and it's insane to me. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think about this because it's a little absurd that, again, that a bar got set and it's not getting lifted or it's not getting you know, jumped over. It's crazy though. Looking now that it's September, right? We have a month left in the season. Some teams have played more than 30 games. Some teams are, are just getting there as, you know, we've had a number of different suspensions because of the coronavirus, you know, and, and actually speaking of the Astros, A's Astros series got suspended earlier this week because of coronavirus scares. And, you know, we're, we're slowly but surely getting there in terms of the season and um, the Astros have, have gotten to play. The A's have not out of precautions, but looking halfway through the season, we look at the standings and some things stick out. The Rays for one are now four and a half games up on the Yankees. They won last night. So they've taken two or three during that series so far. And they're 26 and 12. They made an interesting trade deadline decisions 
or is it par for the course for the Rays? We'll talk about that in a minute. Yankees right behind him in that coveted second place spot. Toronto creeping up. They are 19 and 16. They're making their way in the in the potential wild card chase. Looking at the central, the Indians, who did sell off a couple players, who traded Mike Clevenger to the Padres. They're in first place right now. The White Sox slipped up a little bit. They're now in second by a game. Minnesota hanging out there. And they're starting to get healthier. Josh Josh Donaldson just got back from the IL. Oakland 22 and, tw- and 12. Houston at, at 20 and 15. So they're teams who are doing well. I think Oakland is a team that I thought was going to do pretty well. I know some people kind of forgot about them. Uh, Houston, we, we figured, could still potentially do very well. Their offense has scored 183 runs. Uh, their pitching staff has collectively let up 160. That's a plus 23 run differential. Oakland has been great, plus 36, which the White Sox and Indians have done better. The Indians pitching staff has been unreal, and that's including having just traded away Mike Clevenger. Um, guys that you may not think would have stepped up have. Shane Bieber's been great. But in the American League, I think this is awesome that we kind of thought we had it pegged. The Yankees might run away with this whole thing. The Astros would still do well. A's would be hanging in there. Rays would be hanging in there. But I don't think that you would have thought that 38 games into the Rays season, 37 for the Yankees, that the Rays would be up four and a half. Now, granted, you know, there's 20 something games left for both of these teams. Four and a half games can quickly go away, but we've seen what the, you know, the equivalent to one win is and an eight game winning streak is 23 and a half or whatever the, the A's had on their banner from a couple weeks ago, uh, probably closer to a month ago, man, this whole season is really shot by, but it's, it's pretty insane to see in this, this rivalry that's built between the two teams, between the, the Rays and the Yankees, not to trigger Greg about rivalries, but there's clearly some hatred there. It's pretty awesome to see, and the Yankees haven't had to go on the road a ton. They've played only 14 away games comparatively to the fact they have 14 road wins. They've played or home wins. They've played 21 games at Yankee Stadium. Uh, there have been some you know real discrepancies between between that, and part of that has to do with some of the coronavirus stuff. The Phillies are a big one there. They've played 22 games at home and only 10 away. Um, so you know there there are reasons for that. Marlins, 11 games home, 21 games away. Uh, Starting to see a pattern there, aren't we? But let's look at the National League. Braves first place, not surprised there. The Phillies in second place. We'll talk about them in a second. Since my rant that people really seem to like a couple weeks ago, they are doing incredibly well. Again, we'll talk about them in the Nationals. Uh, Nationals in dead last in the division. Behind the Mets, behind the Marlins, who are 500. A little shocking to see... Uh, pitching staff has been pretty, pretty bleak to say the least. And I'm not sure what to think because their offense hasn't been horrendous. It's been okay. But is this part of what we saw last year where bullpen wasn't much to write home about? And, you know, that they had to use a lot of starting pitching in the playoffs to get through it. Maybe. But the starting pitching hasn't been outstanding either. So that's a little bit of a shocker there. I would have thought maybe the Mets 
be a little closer to second place. Them and the Phillies battling for it. Uh, they're only a win behind the Phillies. They've just played so many more games that they're three and a half back of the Phillies for that coveted second place spot. For those that don't realize, this year, under the wacky Corona rules, not only do first place automatically get into the playoffs, second place automatically in. So second place in your division, just as important as first, especially in some of these divisions that we thought would be runaways. Looking at the Central, speaking of, Cubs right now four games up on the Cardinals, five games up on the Brewers. That's the biggest shock to me, that it's not as tightly contested as we might have thought it would have been. The Reds are five games under 500. they They're 16 and 21. Their pitching staff is probably the biggest shocker that it has not been as great as we thought it could have been. They have all these different starters that we thought were going to be great, and, and they've done pretty well. But their bullpen has been atrocious. And yeah, their offense, you know, we, we thought it was it could have been really good, and it's been all right. 146 runs scored. Uh that's second in the the NL Central, but it's comparatively to the rest of the National League, not very good. Every team in the NL East, except for the Miami Marlins, outscore you there. Um and yeah, your batting average is pretty atrocious. But you have guys at the top of it, like Jesse Winker, Nicholas Castellanos, who's batting 240, but has hit 10 home runs. Jesse Winker also hit uh, 10 home runs. Eugenio Suarez, 8 home runs. This is a team that, that you know, you, you thought was going to do really well. Like a guy like Luis Castillo, starting pitcher, has been okay. He started 7 games and is 0-5, unfortunately. But he had 4.1 ERA, which for all intents and purposes, not awesome, but in the weird Corona year, kind of, oh, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to interpret statistics of pitching variety in this season. I mentioned it, their starting pitch or their, uh, bullpen has been bad. They have a couple guys that are really good. Amir Garrett, Lucas Sims, but guys who come out of the bullpen, like Nate Jones, who used to be this great white Sox pitcher, terrible. Robert Stevenson actually had kind of a decent year last year. Awful. And it's just tough. It's it's tough to swallow if you're looking at these bullpens. I thought complaining about the Phillies bullpen was one thing. But not great here if you're lo- looking at the Reds. They, they don't have as many blown saves as the Phillies. They only have five. But I guess also they're under 500. So they may not have, have gotten some some great starting out uh, some great starting outings. Guys like Wade Miley, Anthony DiScafali, kind of being what we thought they could have been instead of the upside. So it's unfortunate to see there, uh, but I don't want to spend that much time on the Reds. Go to the NL West. Dodgers are five game, five games up on the Padres, and not totally shocked by that, that they have what's becoming a commanding lead nearly two-thirds of the way through the season. They've played 38, or actually both them and San Diego have played 38. The Padres, though... Awesome story to see. Obviously, we talked about Fernando Tatis a couple couple weeks ago. And this team has just continued to be a lot of fun to watch. And they've scored 222 runs. That is the best in the National League. It is the best in baseball. And they've only gotten better. We're going to talk about the trade deadline in a second. Mention that they added Clevenger. They need some help on a couple different fronts in the pitching side. But their lineup, top to bottom... They can really get it done. I've talked about Yerkes and Profar a ton 
for over the last couple of years when he's been on a number of different teams, he's been a great addition for that team. They made a couple other interesting decisions too in terms of who they decided to add, but overall, the top of their lineup has been great to see. Obviously, Tatis leading things there, but you have just a a really fun team to watch. You have Jake Cronenworth, who is a rookie, and he's been awesome, batting 346, hitting a couple home runs, 17 ribbies. Will Myers has been great for him. Ty France, also batting over 300. Eric Hosmer, who they picked up a couple years ago, kind of out of nowhere, and you wondered, why why is he going to San Diego? Machado, you, you also had the same thought there. Both of those guys having incredible years, both batting over 300. Machado already over 10 home runs. He's 11 of them, 32 RBI. Hosmer's going to get there. He's at eight homers, 29 ribbies. So this team, a lot of fun to watch. As Krucky said last night and, and revealed that he likes to watch wrestling, uh, it's unfortunate they play on the West Coast because we don't get to see him as often, and the Phillies don't cross over, so that's why John Kruk doesn't get to see him. And he revealed he only stays up if he watches wrestling. So we learned something new about our boy John Kruk last night. We'll talk about the Phillies in a second, though. The MLB trade deadline was Monday. I've mentioned a couple of these different moves that they made. They added Mike Clevenger from the Indians in a nine-player trade. They also added depth. They added Mitch Moreland from the Red Sox, Trevor Rosenthal, and Austin Nola. And, I mean, they're in a great position here. They may not catch the Dodgers five games with over 20 is not the safest lead, all things considered. You know, they might tighten that gap a little bit, especially with a solid arm like Clevenger. But just getting to October, you saw it last year. We've seen it so many different times in the wild card era. You just got to get in and get hot, and you have to have the right guys to do it. And having Clevenger might be that that right play. Talked about the Rays a minute ago of what they did, and they traded away Jose Martinez. It seemed like a selling move, but the Rays do this sort of thing. We saw it a couple years ago when they moved Chris Archer, and what ended up happening. They got Tyler Glass now, who the other night spun a gem against the Yankees. I know it keeps coming back to the Rays and the Yankees, but... This is stuff that Tampa likes to do. They tinker with these different ideas, and they seem to always zig when everybody else zags, and it works for them. They are, they're still in the lead of the American League East. We'll see what ends up happening with them. The Yankees get healthy. Maybe it ends up being detrimental, but the Rays have something going, so you got to be happy with them. Mention the Marlins being in third place in the NL East, and in a crazy COVID twist. The Marlins were buying at the deadline. They traded for Starlin Marte from an Arizona Diamondbacks team who has been awful this whole year. I feel like that story has gone a little bit under the radar, similar to what I just mentioned with Krucky being like, oh, you know, West Coast, we're not playing them and all this sort of stuff. But I feel like because the Red Sox have been so bad and the Pirates have been historically bad, kind of forget us East Coasters, kind of forget about some of these terrible teams in the West, but the Marlins add Marte. And honestly, this is one of the better scenarios out of the crazy COVID playoffs, the crazy COVID 60 game season that we could get from this. And what I mean by that is that we weren't sure what we were going to get from the trade deadline because so many teams were going to get in. We've talked about this a ton of with the second wild card being added eight years ago, as we got, as we went further and further along, the trade deadline on July 31st became 
more and more less consequential than the waiver wire deadline that used to be on September 1st. And, you know, Justin Verlander got moved and we saw a number of different players that got moved through that waiver wire period. And they finally got rid of it last year. The the trade deadline was a little more important, but because so many more teams are around, we weren't sure what to see. Maybe we saw some guys that were on the bubble or some teams rather on the bubble, make some play and make some trades and, and try to get some blockbuster deals outside of Machado getting moved a couple years ago. You know, there weren't that many blockbuster deals going on. So we weren't sure with how many teams were still in this thing of who might, who might try to make a move, you know, and the Padres did it, which is awesome. But the fact that the Marlins are a Marlins team that there have been, and there still are jokes of, Oh, the Marlins don't have any fans. Oh, but they never have any fans and all this sort of stuff. They're hanging around there. They're currently in a wild card spot because the Rockies are a game under 500. The Milwaukee Brewers are two games under 500, despite both teams having more wins than the Miami Marlins because of their COVID scare. But they're currently wild card one. They would quote unquote host a wild card game, although it seems like that's going to go to a bubble. So they would just be the home team on a neutral site, which again, no fans effectively as neutral site anyway. But anyway, I digress. This is something that I was not expecting. I saw they made a move out of this. Blue Jays did the same thing. They made some really aggressive trades. They're hanging in there in the American League wildcard chase. And, you know, it's interesting because it's actually starting to seem like potentially it may just become Minnesota and Toronto chasing after it or Buffalo, if you want to be funny and technical. But the fact that they're doing that, again, all it takes is getting in. And who the hell knows what's going to happen then? If it ends up being Toronto and Tampa playing for the, you know, in the 1-8 matchup, who knows what happens there? Because they add guys, Robbie Ray, not having a great year. Maybe you throw it out to the team that he had around it. He had zero confidence. And maybe he turns it on with Toronto. He looked good out of the bullpen, uh, which was just basically to get him, get his Toronto legs under him, wings, because they're Blue Jays. Um, man, I, that's really spinning in my head. But he's going to be coming out of the, out of the rotation later this week. Uh, sorry about that folks. But anyway, these teams going after it though, I gotta be happy with it. And it's not, you know, there, there are bigger prospect names being thrown around like the Mitch Moreland deal to the Red Sox. Uh, they got some, some highly touted names or quote unquote, highly touted. I don't think you're, I don't think you're giving up your a level prospects in a COVID season for going after it. Um, but again, I think that's why you don't see the Dodgers make any sort of serious deals. You didn't see the Yankees make any sort of serious deals, which they normally do. Braves didn't really. Um, a lot of people are bumming out on the Rangers for not selling enough. And again, I think that goes back to to this, of the philosophy that some teams took with COVID. And I'm, I'm praising the teams that didn't. And I'm not really upset that those aforementioned teams who sometimes really like to go after it on the trade deadline didn't. Like the Yankees, the Braves, the Cubs, the Phillies made some moves, and we'll talk about that when we get to Phillies talks. But I, I can't be that upset. I see the the Rangers as losers on so many different winner-loser trade deadline articles, whether it's Yahoo, ESPN, because they still apparently cover baseball. I'm sorry, that was a low blow. But at MLB.com, anywhere else, the Rangers were thrown out there, and I don't know, I know that there was ideas that they could have gotten Mike Miner to get thrown off or could they get Lance Lynn to get 
get out somewhere. Joey Gallo, although I don't know who would want to take him on with how often he strikes out. And you want to talk about how much one game means, one at bat and one strikeout, I feel like means so much more. Um, and costs so much more. But anyway, maybe they could have figured something out. People are like, oh, the, the Indians had a multiplayer deal for Mike Clevenger. Maybe, but that's, that's the Padres going for it. If the A's, who apparently wanted to trade, uh, who they traded Mike Miner to, but if the A's wanted to try to get Lance Lynn too, or if the Dodgers did, or the Yankees, you know, whomever, if anybody else wanted to, to try to get in on this with the Rangers outside of sending a ton of players around and, and all this different stuff, I don't know. It, it just, I can't be that upset with them. You know, they only moving three players because they moved. Robinson Chirinos and Todd Frazier to the Mets right under the wire. Um, Frazier going back to the Mets. Good for him. But, um, yeah, I can't be that upset with them. Because I think with this COVID season, it only being 60 games, you don't want to you don't want to mortgage anything here. And maybe they were asking for too much. We don't know what the Rangers were doing. We don't know where those, where those talks went. Apparently, Lance Lynn was really on the you know on the bubble there but we see that in sports all the time in regular trade deadlines so i don't know i i just think being that hard on a team for not selling as much as they could have is a little harsh and that's not to say that the rangers are going to come back and do all this you know crazy comeback stuff i just think with covid and some teams probably being a little more cautious at making trades got to give them a break here but let's move on phillies talk the phillies since i went on this rant have actually looked really good. And they've played the Washington Nationals a number of these different games. And going into their series last week in Washington, D.C., the Washington Nationals Twitter account tweets out a graphic saying, with a caption, beating Philadelphia is easy, as Philadelphians said. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. But they show their all-time record, which is now above 500. Their record since 2012, since 2016, and since 2019. And... The pitcher shows Max Scherzer striking Bryce Harper out. Of course, 2019 being Bryce Harper's first year in Philadelphia. Now, Bryce Harper aside, since 2012, is since the last time the Phillies made the playoffs, when they were historically bad in 15. 16, they weren't much better either, so showing the since 2016 statistic. Seems like just an arbitrary number that you picked between 12 and 19. And you're throwing out, for one... For one, they threw out all the Nash or the Expos stats because that's that's way more games, and then they threw out the times when the Phillies were good. Now, since then, the Phillies have won five games against the Washington Nationals, including last night a matchup of Zach Wheeler and Max Scherzer, and the Phillies grinded it out. They win three nothing, and I mentioned a little bit the Phillies made a couple moves. Um, they traded for David Phelps on deadline day, but they made a couple moves before that too. They added Brandon Workman. They added Heath Henry, both from the Red Sox. And they've been good. Uh, good enough. Workman had a nice save last night. He let up a lot of base runners. And he blew a save in his first appearance as a Philly against the Braves. Uh, and he nearly did in the final the final game of this weekend series two weeks ago against the, the Braves on Sunday Night Baseball. And Matt Vaskersian went crazy because the Phillies had this awesome game-ending play. But the Phillies have been getting it done, and they've been scoring runs. 
and their bullpen hasn't been terrible since the rant, which was after the doubleheader two weeks ago today on August 20th. The Phillies lose two straight games and get blown out against Atlanta. They have the game that Workman blows, lose 6-5. They win that 5-4 game. They win two games against the Nationals. The third game gets postponed because of the, the day of protest for Jacob Blake last Thursday. Then they go in. They win the first two games against Atlanta. They lose this wild game on Sunday night. They put up a, or they let up a 10 spot in the third inning. Phillies somehow grind it back to 11-10, end up losing 12-10. Then they go back. The series against the Nationals, they come to Philadelphia, win a wild game on Monday night, 8-6. Tuesday and Wednesday, two back-to-back shutouts, 6 nothing, 3 nothing. I mentioned that. They're playing the Nationals to finish out this four-game series. Thursday afternoon, 4 o'clock, we'll see how it goes. Then they play a four-game series against the Mets. That should be very interesting to see. They go up to City Field for that. Host the Red Sox for a one-day, two-game doubleheader. Going to be incredibly interesting. Then they get a day off, go out to Miami, for a seven-game series, seven games in five days, that is going to be nuts. Both teams may not have arms by the end of this series. The bats may be just sawdust by the end of it. The end of the Philly schedule is going to be wild. We're going to talk about it more in another podcast. But I got to be so happy with what the Phillies have done. I mentioned Alec Bohm in the last podcast we did a couple weeks ago. He has been great taking over pretty much an everyday role at third base. Last night, he makes an incredible defensive play, which if Web Gem still existed on baseball tonight, I hope would have been the top one. But now Bohm in 17 games has moved his way up fourth on the Phillies batting title list or in batting average. Batting 288, now has two homers, nine ribbies. He's walking a decent amount. He's, he's getting on base, and he's scoring. The team's bringing him around. Got to be really happy with JT Real Muto. Sign, the, sign that guy. I almost said sign the fucker. Uh, but he's not a fucker. He is awesome. Didi Gregorius. Got to give him some serious props. He has been great, and I know I was a little hard about his defensive play a couple weeks ago, but he has been so much fun to watch, and he's awesome off the field. I know a lot of the Yankee fans that listen to this know, but Didi, after every game... Tweets out a series of emojis talking about the wins and trying to decipher what different emojis there are is just as fun as watching the games. Alec Bohm is a giraffe, which I think is hysterical, but all these different players and finding out who is who with different stuff is awesome. Uh, If you don't follow DD, go check him out. Great Twitter follow. I know Greg is going to give me all this shit. Oh, he's a former Yankee. Greg, calm down. Anyway, uh, local hero Phil Gosselin, still batting over 300. Reese Hoskins, got to be happy with what he's been doing. Red hot the last couple weeks, and all of a sudden batting 269, has six homers, 18 ribbies. This was a guy that we were worried lost his swing, has seemingly found it for the time being. Hopefully he finishes strong. Hopefully the Phillies continue to finish strong. Again, a lot of games in September. Hopefully no one's arms fall off. All right, that is going to do it for Baseball Talk, though. Let me know what you thought of this. I know it's a little longer than I wanted it to be because I do have to get to work. Still early, but, you know, got to go into the office early. Be a hardworking individual, all that good stuff. But let's talk some hockey. Stanley Cup playoffs. We leave the weekend after a couple days off for 
protesting Jacob Blake and, and actually some powerful moments from the players there, especially on the West Coast bubble. Um, but we get back. All four series have 3-1 leads coming out of the weekend. Monday night, the Avalanche force a game six, but the Bruins fall in double overtime. So they're out. Lost in five games. Unfortunate to see Tampa, though, looks really hot and really tough to beat. And frankly, we'll just go right into the Flyers. I don't know if the Flyers will pull off this 3-1 deficit. They won on on Tuesday night, play tonight at 7 o'clock. Got to have another fucking heart attack. Almost had one on Tuesday. Uh, Flyers blew a 3-1 lead, end up winning in overtime. And actually, in, in all three of their goals, they actually looked really strong. It's just after they had the 3-1 lead, the Flyers, especially in the third period, and they do this. And it always seems to be against the Islanders that they do this. And this is pre-Barry Trotz, too. That they play on their heels, and the Islanders know how to fucking step up to that. And And I'm dead serious. This is like going on like 10 years now that the Islanders do not quit. And obviously, Barry Trotz's system is built for that, too. Of We talk so much about if they get a lead, they build on, they build and hold on to it. But if they're down, they are not out, and they fight. And that's what they do. They look great in that third period. Every single third period, they have won in this series so far. So the Flyers tonight, they need to really just play a complete game. I know that sounds like some real basic bitch analysis, but they really need to play a complete game here. They look great in the second period in a lot of these different games. They've come out flat. They've come out strong in the first period. They need to come out strong. I feel like they probably will, considering the circumstances of win or go home. Um, but they need to. Second period, they need to look awesome. Then the third period, you need to keep pushing. You need to keep going here. I know both teams have hit a ton of posts but you need to keep going. The defense looked way better in Game 5 than they did in Game 3 or Game 4. They looked like fucking 10-year-olds playing with professionals. You know the South Park episode where Stan coaches the hockey team? It's supposed to be a Mighty Duck spoof. Then they have to play the Detroit Red Wings. That's what it fucking looked like watching Game 3 and Game 4 with these Flyers defensemen out there. They looked like chickens with their heads cut off. And even those goals towards the end of the game. I know people want to give Carter Hart shit, for, especially for that second goal. That, you know, it's just a slap shot from the high slot. And, and I you know, maybe a guy's stick was trying to block it and Carter got thrown off by that. You know, it's not a great goal. The third goal, complete breakdown on all fronts. But we've seen a couple of those from the Flyers in these playoffs so far. But if the Flyers are going to win tonight, they need to play solid hockey. Because the systems that the Islanders have, and this is going to be a broken record if the Islanders pull this out, which, you know... Odds are they probably will, and they're going to be facing Tampa. And you're going to hear us say this all the time with with them playing the Lightning, who look awesome, but the Islanders' systems work, and Trotz knows how to get this thing done. The other thing, speaking of Barry Trotz, the broadcast wanted to fucking reverse jinx the fact that A.V., Elaine Vigneault, Flyers head coach, has twice come back from a 3-1 deficit including the last time he did it against Barry Trotz when Trotz was with the Capitals and he was with the Rangers, A.V. was. Um, and, you know, it might work, the the reverse jinx of just showing, oh, this is, you know, he did it. Oh, he did it. But, you know, if the Flyers do lose, I'm going to try to do some sort of Instagram post or something like that to, to talk about it a little more. Definitely not an emergency podcast, but something. But 
a lot of positives to be taken away from this se- this season. Um, not necessarily this series, but the playoffs for certain. Uh, Carter Hart definitely the real deal. Young guys stepped up when some guys, you know, some of the bigger names hadn't. But that's a positive from game from game five. Claude Giroux got on the scoreboard. Scott Lawton got on the scoreboard, and yeah, I mean, we'll see how this the end of this goes, and it's going to be fun. If they don't force a game seven, you'll hear from me later tonight. Uh, if you haven't listened, if you've if this is you're listening to this past Thursday, then I probably and they lost. I probably already have, but looking at Tampa, no matter who wins this. This kind of comes off as potentially 07 World Series type of thing of the Red, and obviously I'm not expecting the the Phillies to come back from three one deficit, but the Red Sox did that. The red hot Colorado Rockies were sitting around. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the deal because a they're in the bubble and there's really nothing to do, but the fact that this keeps going more and more and the Islanders. They look good for mo- for a lot of the game, and they look better than the Flyers for periods. For every third period, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to repeat myself, but either team I feel like is is keeping themselves warm while Tampa's sitting around. I know they're practicing. I know there's nothing else to do in the bubble, but I don't know. That might be an interesting thing there because I my mind wants me to think Tampa is red hot. They're going to steamroll whoever gets out of the series. But who knows? I mean, fresh legs and all that sort of stuff. But let's go over to the West. Last night, Wednesday night, mentioned that Colorado forced a Game 6. Game 6 was last night. And boy, oh boy, are the Colorado Avalanche all the way back. And I say that because they've scored four goals in their last four games, including an unfortunate Game 4 loss to the Stars, where they lose 5-4. And... Colorado, though, basically with their backs against the wall, since we recorded that preview podcast for the second round, they're down 2-0, they come out and win 6-4, they lose 5-4. They win 6-3 in game in game 5, worth mentioning there. But last night, this team, after the Dallas Stars scored first, who, for all intents and purposes, Dallas has scored three goals a game so far in this series, which is something that they are... You know, they don't normally do, but they look like their offense is completely humming. They got Miro Heiskin in, completely involved. This guy scores his fifth goal of the playoffs. Guy is third in all playoff scoring in points, 19-15 games. It looks like Dallas might, might have Colorado finally on the ropes and ready to throw the knockout blow. But not even two minutes later, Nikita Zadorov ties up this ball game. And it's 1-1 through the first period. And then from there, the Avalanche steamroll the Dallas Stars. And I shouldn't be that hard on the Stars because Kadobin stood on his head to keep to try to keep this team in there. But Kale McCarr gets involved in a play that's tic-tac, tic-tac, tic-tac-toe. And that first line really getting humming with Rontanen, Landeskog, and McKinnon. And McCarr snipes it to put him up 2-1. Rontanen later scores in the third period to put it up 3-1. And then once they pull the goalie, Dallas does the two-goal deficit. In an awesome play, they steal the puck, get it to McKinnon. McKinnon from his own zone. Just a little flick, little little flick of the wrist. It looks like it bounced once into the net. And it was incredible to see. 
And now I'm talking all about this offense, but I have to give some serious props to Michael Hutchinson, who stepped into the goal and has looked great in games five and six. He had 31 saves on Monday night. Only you know he let up three goals, but they won six six to three. That's okay. Last night, Hutchinson had 27 saves, but only allowed one goal and made some highlight reel saves here. I talk about Carter Hart. I love Carter Hart. Hutchinson looked incredible. And we're going to talk about Demko and the Canucks in a second. But Hutchinson, man, if this guy has caught fire and continues that in Game 7 like he does here, holy fuck, Colorado might just steamroll through that game too, which I don't expect. I feel like it's going to be a low-scoring game. This whole series has been high-scoring. It's probably going to be like a 2-1 game. I'm still on the avalanche train. I said that. I think I thought I said they're down 2-0. It's probably going to be in 7. Who the fuck knows now? But go Avs, because I have money on them. But I'm excited to see this Game 7. Friday Night Hockey. It's going to be awesome. Time is to be determined, and that is because the Canucks will not go away. Thought that they, of all teams, not the Bruins, not the Flyers, not the Avalanche, in Game 5 would roll over and let the Vegas Golden Knights rub their belly. And I thought after the first period where they only had six shots on goal, Vegas had a billion of them seemingly. I think it was 20. And then Vegas goes up quick. Uh, Not quick, but late in the second period goes up. Finally gets onto the board. I thought this was it. No! Brock Bezer immediately turns around, ties up the ball game. Within, I'm counting it right now, in 24 seconds... Between the two goals, it's 1-1. And all of a sudden, you're wondering what the hell is going on. And you look back at the Vancouver goal, and you see Thatcher Demko, former BC goalie, looks awesome, Markstrom unavailable for this game, and he is standing on his head. And I just gave Hutchinson all this credit in the world. Demko, highlight save after highlight save. 42 total saves in the game. The Canucks win it 2-1, grind this out which I did not think in a low-scoring game they were going to do. I thought Vegas had them completely outmatched on every single aspect. They got their defensemen involved, their top three lines. I mean, all four lines are great, but their top three lines are scoring at will. Alex Tuck, we've talked about him a billion times, but having an incredible playoffs. That top line with Carlson, Marsha Show, fucking Riley Smith, all these different dudes are awesome. And Vegas got it done. It was their two big guys, Bezer and Peterson, or Pedersen, however you pronounce his name, Swedish guy. They got it done. They got on the scoreboard. Quinn Hughes looked great. But Demko, man, if he looks good tonight, they could force a game seven. And now the reason why Colorado Dallas is to be determined is because, unfortunately, which I think the NHL should step in and say, we're going to move this to to Saturday night. They have game seven scheduled for Friday night, a back-to-back for games six and seven, which to me is insane because currently the NHL schedule, the only guaranteed games on the books are is Friday night, this game seven between Colorado and Dallas. The Flyers win today. They go to play game seven on Saturday. And if Vancouver wins tonight, game seven would be Friday. Why not move it to Saturday and have a double header? That seems like the right thing to do. But, you know, Logic, you know, I mean, it's, it just seems too logical. But who knows, if if the Flyers get closed out tonight, maybe we see Saturday night 
we get a uh, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. We saw it happen with the Colorado Dallas series before. Uh, so who knows? You know, maybe we get something like that. But and then Sunday night would be the Western Conference Final game one or something. Maybe Monday night, give them two days off. But these playoffs have been incredible. The bubble has certainly worked, and it's worked in the NBA too. I mentioned a little bit some wild endings to both the Bucks and the Heat, as well as the Rockets game. And yeah, it's it's you know that's about the basketball analysis you're going to get from me. Um, if you ever do see me tweet about basketball or about uh, really about teams I've bet it bet on, whether it's basketball, hockey, baseball, football's about to come back football immediately live bet the opposite. Cause I'm a fucking mush. I've done. Okay. I've got some winners, some dogs here and there, you know, some spread wins. I'm just throwing out gambling terms. I have some wins. I'm not terrible, but man, if I'm live betting about it and there's some sort of live line, like if it's, you know, that I'm, uh, Oh, a team is up huge. Bet the other team plus whatever, because they're going to fucking tighten it up. And I'm an idiot when it comes to that sort of stuff. Fine pregame, live game, fade me. There you go. There's some free advice. But we move on to golf. Like I mentioned, Tour Championship, the FedEx Cup, starts Friday afternoon. We're going to get some Labor Day golf, which is awesome. And got to quickly talk about the BMW Championship, because we had an incredible finish to it. John Rahm pulls it out. Dustin Johnson makes a bomb of a putt to force a playoff. And now DJ sits at the top of the leaderboard going into the Tour Championship. Rahm sits number two, the two playoff winners. The reason why that's important, ladies and gentlemen, is that the Tour Championship, which did this last year, implements a starting score. So what that means, Dustin Johnson, top of the FedEx Cup points, starts at 10 under. John Rahm, number two. Eight under. Thomas, JT, at number three, starts seven under. Webb Simpson, six under. Colin Morikawa, fifth at five under. Then it progressively gets lower from there. And the last couple guys to make the tournament, the last five of 30, start even. So, a couple things on this. I had a question from a good buddy of mine, Matt Height, saying, do I think it's fair that he has a runner-up and a playoff win and he only has a two-stroke lead. To which I have in a longer answer. For one, because the short is is kind of fair. My whole thought on the, on the FedEx Cup playoffs, for one, they've only been around for 13 years, and it's the 14th FedEx Cup. So it's a newer, it's a newer idea. We talk about this all the time, President's Cup versus Ryder Cup. Now, up until a couple years ago, it was... You, if you got to the Tour Championship, it was great because you get exemptions for everything. And this is true. This is still true of the Tour Championship. But if you were, if you came in 15th, instead of being seven shots back or whatever the number is, you had to win and oh, so many other things had to happen, which is true here. You start a tournament seven shots back. Rory is three under. He, he is 12th in the FedEx Cup points coming into the Tour Championship and is seven shots back. Now, if that's the same as as whatever the math ended up being with points, sure, that's great. Now, my only thing with the FedEx Cup is that you either need to lean all the way into it being playoffs, like what Matt is asking, or at least what I think he's asking, of he has a playoff win and a playoff T, or he has a playoff two, not even T2. Why shouldn't he have a bigger lead? Or if you're going to do the season-long stuff, 
then lean back that way. Either do the, you have to win and oh, so many things have to happen. Like the Phoenix Suns going eight no in the bubble, but still to make the playoffs because all the other stuff didn't happen, which goes back to me think the NBA should have just done the World Cup thing so that that sort of thing didn't happen instead of it being the end of the regular season. And that's kind of the point, is that if you're going to make this an extension of the regular season, then make it an extension of the regular season and not playoff events. You have players who flat out say they take majors more seriously than they do these now only two events, which the the FedEx Cup kind of backed its way into this because of COVID, of it not of it being back to the schedule that it was previously on. For those that don't know, it used to be four events, and now and it went through Labor Day and into September, and now because of because they don't want to compete with football, they lowered it to three events and originally would move it to August, but because of everything with COVID, the schedule's gotten all jacked up. So we had the PGA at the normal time that we did in the middle of August instead of it being in June and, and all this sort of stuff. But my, my point being is that if you want to make these true playoffs, and, and I get it, that it's round after round and you give the, the guys who, the teams, if we're going to look at, it, at what the other North American professional leagues do, you know, if you win home field advantage, that gives you an advantage going into the next tournament of... You know, DJ doing so well throughout the tournament, or even Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas is actually a really good example of this because he was first. He was the one seed coming into the into the into the playoffs. He finishes tied for 49th, goes to second place, which is kind of wild, you know, considering the fact that he's tied 49th. Dustin Johnson was 30 under to win the event, and Dustin Johnson just goes ahead of him, and and JT comparatively to where all the other scores are, doesn't get as as punished. T25 in the BMW, the second event for Justin Thomas, he's now third. Now, if you want to put it, skew it more towards the playoffs, you would certainly give an advantage to DJ and Rom, both of whom have finished in the top 10 of both events, winning one each, Dustin Johnson coming in second, as we mentioned. And I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's something that you want the bigger names, quote unquote, to be around, even though guys like Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, who has not been very good over the last couple of years, but he's a big name. He's a recognizable name. If you want to go with that, the, the marketable names route. And you like, you're worried about Russell Henley, who came in, who tied for eighth and then goes T25 in the last event and doesn't get in. Or Louis Oosthuizen, who goes T13 and then T25. Or, I mean, the, actually, the best example of this is Jason Korkrak, who comes into the playoffs 90th in the FedEx Cup points, is tied for 13th, or finishes tied for 13th at the, BM, at the um, not the BMW, at the Northern Trust, the TPC Boston event, and then goes tied for 6th at the BMW and does not get into East Lake, which I think is an extension to Matt's question about how you do in the playoffs. If you really want these to be playoffs, should matter more because effectively if we're going to use this weird analogy that I've backed my way into of how other North American sports work, he effectively pulled off some sort of upset here. He finished in the top 15 in an event and moved his way to 66. So he backdoored his way into the next event, which is fun to see that, especially when it was four events, seeing guys who would do that sort of thing is awesome. Then he finishes in the top 10 and he's not even there. So Again, I, I think if you're going to really call these playoffs and, and progressively cut people, because 
that's the other important thing here is that 125 guys make it to the first event, the Northern Trust, and then 70 guys make the next event, the BMW, and then it cuts to 30. It used to be a little, it was four events, it was a little more of a progressive cut, but it's only 30 guys in the field this week. For those that are not familiar with the FedEx Cup playoffs, this is how they work. If you're going to do it this way and knock players out, it seems kind of wild to me that you're going to have, you're not going to reward players for doing well, I should say, in the playoff events. You do and the points get wild and maybe Corkrack didn't do so well in you know the regular season, but these are the playoffs now. So I think as a long answer to Matt, I don't know necessarily with the starting score aspect with it because maybe that is something that gets implemented of some sort of flexible scoring from the you know from how much your your gap might have been for you know coming in and out of the tour championship although i think they used to reset it anyway when they when they go into the final event no matter what so maybe this is part of maybe i think this might just be the simplified version to explain you know to have it easily explainable to to viewers so that you have an idea of what's going on rather than the 15 billion scenarios that we're looking for on Sunday if you want your guy to win. But again, if you re- I think if you really want to make it the playoffs, then make it the playoffs. Cut off the regular season and go from there. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you if a 3-week event, if you say a guy misses the cut in the first event, too bad you're out and then you battle from there you say 90 make the cut and then the top 60 go to the next event and then from there those 60 in the bmw just play and maybe you cut it to 45 15 guys you're out after two days and top 30 make east lake i don't know i don't know what the best thing is there and the fact that you're playing tpc boston where a guy like dj can shoot 30 under and then last week where guys are are right around even um you know, I I don't know. There's a lot to be to be handled there because I think that's there, there's a lot of variables that get thrown into it, and I'm obviously not a ex <laughs> or I'm not a uh, a member of the the PGA Tour to decide these these things, and for good reason. But it's going to be exciting to see and to look at East Lake and to give some idea of of what to expect this weekend. You know, we've seen some scores that have been pretty wild and under we've also seen some scores that have been uh not so good uh to look at dustin johnson for for example he came in last year at three under so he was in that you know mid-range he was 14th coming into it and he finished up 10 over so he was 13 over over the the whole tournament there's no cut so you play four rounds so Really, a lot of things can happen because on the the reverse side of it, Rory and Xander Shoffley, who finished 1-2, Rory went 13 under on the tournament. He was five shots back going into it. Xander Shoffley, 10 under, and they go 1-2. So I think if you're hitting the fairways, you're able to hit it at decent length. I say decent length because Tiger is not the longest guy off the tee anymore, and he won this tournament a couple years ago. But... If you're playing smart golf, again, basic bitch analysis here, but if you're playing smart golf and you're hidden greens and your short game is buzzing, 
then this is going to be a good weekend for you. And I, I think especially on that short game aspect to it, going back to two years ago, we saw Justin Rose do exactly that. He, um, you know, very good player, but very good short game. And it ultimately, it didn't win him the tournament, but it won him the FedEx Cup, and he played well enough there in the, under the old format. Um, but all that being said, again, big hitters tend to do well here. Um, Justin Thomas last year was three under, uh, he, he's who I like this weekend. I think he has the gameplay to, to really get an idea to get himself in a good position. I think similarly last year, he was first going into it cause he won the BMW, but he finds himself third coming into this. He's had himself a really good year, kind of an up and down playoffs, kind of an up and down post COVID season, but I feel like his game at East Lake and how well he can play can do well for him. I like Rory a lot. He looked good last week. He did have a couple blow up days. And the other big thing is, is everything with his wife, his wife goes into labor. He's going to withdraw and go be with his child in Florida. So that's, I'm not going to put any money on him. Big Rory fan, but you know, that's just, that's not smart to try to throw your money that way, but we got to address the elephant in the room. Dustin Johnson and John Rahm being one, two, Either of those guys are on, and they look unfucking real especially Dustin Johnson. Again, 30 under two weeks ago, he shot a 60. And, yeah, I mean, if DJ continues the heater he's on, this may not even be a contest. Starts with a two-stroke lead, and it might turn into him versus Rom for the whole weekend by Friday afternoon. So... I like them. If you're playing daily fantasy, like like somebody like I am, <laughs> they may be a little expensive. DJ again didn't play East Lake well last year, um, but Rom might be a good pick. He is on. He's certainly in that correct spot to do well on that heater. Obviously, won last week. Um, finds himself in second place. I think a big thing too. With Rom and and DJ qualifies him here too, but Rom, Thomas, even a Webb Simpson who I've seen on some different sites as a fun pick. Whether you're doing a one and done, you haven't used him yet, or daily fantasy or whatever, um, these guys get birdies at will. And if East Lake is playing open, that could be really good for him. So some things to watch out there. Uh, my only real concern would be watching out to see how see what a what the weather looks like and b how these guys short games look obviously dj has been on a completely different level but it's gonna be a fun weekend so let me know what you guys think because this is gonna be a fun weekend like i said labor day golf always great and we turn around pretty quickly we got some majors coming up and it's it's gonna be awesome we get the u.s open soon as you, if you've been watching playoff hockey, you've probably seen that along with the Kentucky Derby commercials. Uh, so it kind of feels like May, but yeah. So we're you know wrapping things up. Little grab bag. Um, haven't really been watching a ton of shows or movies mainly because of all the different playoffs and regular season baseball that's been on. Um, I mentioned Bill and Ted Three. I'm going to check that out at some point. Very excited for that movie. It was announced the other day. The Mandalorian season two coming out soon. Very excited for that. If you have not seen Mandalorian season one and you've recently gotten Disney plus because of 
all the different movies they've released, or Hamilton. Uh, definitely go check out The Mandalorian if you like Star Wars, or if you like Westerns. It definitely has that sci-fi Western vibe. I never watched Firefly, but I imagine that would be a similar vibe to it. Um, John Favreau created it. Really loved Star Wars, and, and really you can tell that he he really took the time to put a lot of the the love and craft into the show. Uh, you've probably seen Baby Yoda. Spoiler for episode one, but Baby Yoda's great in it. Bill Burr shows up at one point. He plays a villain. It's a great show. Highly recommend it. Um, other stuff I've been watching, though, I've mentioned Community a few times. Avatars on Netflix, been watching that. Um, yeah, and there are no new new shows to come out on uh, on anything. So I don't have a lot of recommendations for you guys. I'll let you know what I think about Bill and Ted 3 whenever I do finally watch it. Again, the playoffs have been... You're really consuming a lot of my time, and I do I do want to address that for a second because I thought about this the uh, I've thought about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, and you know only doing oh so many baseball shows because of hockey shows and a very busy work schedule for myself and Greg. Um, you know, obviously this is not the year that we all wanted it to be with COVID and all this sort of stuff, and I apologize that I've not been covering baseball on the weekly basis that we normally do. Frankly, and it's not the greatest excuse in the world, but the Flyers being on every other night. At one point, the Sixers were on, and then they stunk. But the Phillies are on a ton, trying to consume as much as possible in terms of the sports, because it, you know, making up for lost time, if you will. But I appreciate you guys letting me know what you think of the shows and all the different stuff that we do, and what I want to know what you guys want to hear. If you like this morning show idea uh, to get it up, it's it's getting close to me having to get to work and, and starting to do my job. So maybe I have to wake up a little earlier, but I mean, I've only been ranting for an hour. I don't really expect to go on much longer than that on any of these, but I'd love to hear what you guys think with all of this and let me know either shoot me a DM at Jordo nine on Instagram and, and Twitter or join the Facebook group, the, the bullpen cart podcast, join the conversation, send questions in like Matt height did. I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you for it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just love hearing from you guys and I'm glad that you guys are enjoying the show, even in this crazy COVID times to, uh, get your opinions and your thoughts and suggestions, you know, are, are always great, but that's going to do it for this solo show. Thank you again for listening. We will catch you soon. Have a great weekend, a safe Labor Day, all that good stuff. Enjoy the golf, enjoy baseball. Hopefully the Flyers do it, but if not, you'll hear from me at some point, but Go Phils.